morning, Bell Shoals. It's good to be with you today. Uh, I, I love watching how the Holy Spirit tends to weave the fabric of our lives, the things that we do together. I had no idea uh, what Jonathan was going to be uh, bringing to us, leading us in worship. But did you notice we had this kind of red thread all the way through the worship, kind of just reminding us over and over again, God is faithful. Did you hear that? It was on every song, God is faithful. That is the message today. God is faithful. We have a lot to cover. We're going to jump right in. I want you to take your Bibles or your cell phones. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 15. We're going to work our way through that entire chapter. But before we do that, we need to get a running start. So I want you to actually open to Genesis chapter 12. 15, probably the greatest chapter in all of the Old Testament. How do I say that? It's because almost all the other chapters in the Old Testament hinge on God being a covenant-keeping God, God being a faithful God. And that's what we're going to see in chapter 15. It's called the Abrahamic covenant, God making a covenant with Abraham. Now, what is a covenant? A covenant is simply an agreement, but when God makes a covenant, it's much, much more. Why is it important that we understand that God is a covenant-keeping God? Because the more we understand God's covenant with Abraham, the more we understand God's faithful promises to us. That's where we're heading today. To get there, though, we need to get into chapter 12 first because God here calls Abraham and all covenants start with a calling. Let's look with me at verse 1. I'm in Genesis chapter 12. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go, go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to the land that I'll show you. Now, stop right there. I want you to notice the extent of the call. He says, I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your kindred. I want you to leave your father's house. Now think through that. I want you to leave your identity, right? Our identity is often wrapped up in the country in which we live in. I want you to leave your country. And not only that, but I, I want you to leave your community, your kindred, it says. And then the next one, I want you to leave your family to do what? To follow me. Well, listen to me. That is the exact same call that Christ gives to each of us to follow after him. He called the disciples. He says, I want you to leave all, follow me. He calls the apostles. He does the same thing. Throughout history, every believer that he calls, he calls the exact same way. I want you to leave everything, follow after me. I mean, think about what he says in Luke 14. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers, his sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. We think about the radical nature of the call of God on your life. Jesus is saying, I'm first, I'm everything, everything else is second. And if you can't, come to that understanding, you cannot be my disciples. It's like what um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in his classic work, Cost of Discipleship. He said, 
when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and what? Die. This is the same call that God places on Abraham's life. It's the same call that God places on our life. Now, let's think about Abraham. Abraham is middle-aged. He's content. He's prosperous. What does he do? Well, look at verse 4. So Abraham went. So Abraham went. You know what this is saying? Abraham obeyed. Now, I need you to stop for a moment. I need you to think about this. Think about Abraham in the realm of faith. We're people of faith. But our faith isn't some kind of theory. It's not this ethereal notion that we're spiritual people and there's no sense to it. It's just, oh yeah, I'm a person of faith. No, listen, if you're a person of faith, you're a person of action. You understand that? Your faith isn't just something nebulous that just kind of floats around your life. No, your faith is actually something that produces obedience. And that's important. Faith is a belief that results in action. Why is that? Because out of obedience of your faith comes blessing. That's what we see in this text. Abraham, his faith is a belief that results in an action he goes. And yet out of that obedience comes blessing. Back up, look at verse 2. I'll show this to you. God says to Abraham, I'll make of you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. Now notice these three blessings. There's a national blessing, a personal blessing, and an ancestral blessing. All of these blessings are coming on Abraham as he obeys God. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. Why? Why all the blessings? Well, if you look at the passage, it actually tells us, do you see the little word, so that in the end of verse two, so that, that's a purpose clause, answers the question, so that you will be a blessing. Listen here, there is always a reason for God's call. There's always a reason for God's call. There's a reason that he called you out of the darkness of your life and brought you to himself alive. There's a reason. There's a reason he resurrected a dead, spiritually dead body and brought it to spiritual life. There is a reason he calls you by faith. Out of that faith and obedience comes blessing. But that blessing, what? Is so that you might be a blessing. All of Abraham's life, if you think about it, he's the father of blessings. We are who we are in Jesus Christ out of the abundant covenant and blessings of God through Abraham. You see, God always has a reason for his call. We'll come back to that here in a moment, but I want you to now turn with me over to chapter 15. All that happens in Abraham's life in this point is foundational for the covenant that starts in chapter 15. Now we're gonna unpack this whole passage so that you understand it and you understand how to apply it to your life. But it begins in verse one. Notice it says in chapter 15, after these things, after what things? We need to understand a lot has happened between chapter 12 and chapter 15. There was famine in the land. He moves his home. We're down. He goes into Egypt. Pastor Corey did a great job unpacking the reason behind that. He goes into Egypt. 
trying to solve the problem himself. He has a problem then with his wife and Pharaoh. He gets into a scenario of lying. He's escorted out of Egypt, says, go on your way. He comes to a point where Lot has problems with uh, the family. There's issues. There's four kings that wage war against him. All of these things are happening in Abraham's life. And then we come to chapter 15, and it says, after these things. What do you think, Abraham? What do you think was going on in his mind? I mean, if I was Abraham, I might be tempted to think, you know, this isn't exactly how I expected things to go. You said you were going to bless me. This doesn't feel much like blessing. And notice what happens. God senses Abraham's concern before it was even spoken in a question from his lips. God says, fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Before Abraham can utter the concerns out of his own mouth, God's already there saying, fear not. You realize this phrase? This is the first time this phrase is used in the Bible. It's going to be used another 364 times. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Over and over, all throughout the scripture, God is telling his people, fear not. And all the things that are going on in your life, fear not. Jesus is saying, fear not. Over and over again. Not only does he tell us, fear not, but did you see what he did? He said, fear not, Abram. He called him by name. You see, you're not sitting in this auditorium as just a nameless part of humanity that's wondering about, wondering what's going to happen next. No, God has a plan a purpose, he knows your name. And whatever you brought into this auditorium today, he'll begin by saying, fear not. I am your shield. Now what do you think of when you hear the word shield? Maybe you think of a large shield that you can hide under. That's not necessarily what this Hebrew word means. It actually means a small, round shield that you can place on your forearm. Think about what God is saying. I'm in there right with you. I'm attached to you. I'll protect you. I am your shield. Reminds me of what David said in Psalm 18. He said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge. We take refuge in the God who says, fear not. Fear not. A couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine, we'd served together at my first church for 18 years. He and his wife served together, great, close friends. They'd come to Florida, take a cruise, and then they wanted to visit with us, so we opened our home to them. Ron is the most steady guy I've ever met in my life. It really doesn't matter what happens, nothing seems to rattle him. Give you an idea about this. He's the only guy I know who got his finger cut off in a soccer game. I'm not joking. Only guy I know who lost a finger playing a soccer game. He was in the goal, the, the net was falling down, and so he decided to catch the net, jump up, and put it back on the hook. When he did, it caught his ring. That ring sliced right through his finger, pop, went flying across the field. You kind of lost uh, that hunger feeling for lunch for a moment, didn't you? So 
true story. He, he goes to the hospital. I hear about it. I go to the hospital to see Ron. Now, I'm thinking what I'm going to find is this grown man curled up, fetal position, dark room, mourning over the loss of a finger. Because honestly, that's how I would have felt. I'm, I'm like, part of my body is gone forever. I come into the hospital room. He's sitting up in his hospital bed. He's got his hand wrapped like nothing ever happened. He says to me, well, I'll never be able to hit the S button on the typewriter again. I'm like, where, what is going on? Later that day, later that night, he's at home in his mom's house eating spaghetti. I'm like, crying out loud, Ron. But you know, his whole philosophy through life is, you know what, all we have to do is be faithful today to walk through today. God will handle the rest. When he comes to our house, we learned about a month or so ago that he has prostate cancer. He has stage four prostate cancer. In fact, the way the doctor described it to them is this is beyond stage four. This is serious. And I didn't know what I was going to get when he came walking through my door. But here comes Ron. Walks in. Like nothing ever happened, sits down. We begin a conversation, four of us are catching up, finally gets to the subject. We ask, how are you feeling? What's going on with your treatment? Yada, yada, yada. And he says the classic line. I just have to walk through today. God is faithful to take care of the rest. Where does this come from? Except a man who knows God is absolutely faithful. And he tells us, fear not, calls us by name and reminds us, I've got you, I'm your shield. Abraham doesn't appear to be this calm, comes to God. He asks two questions. First question, when, when will the blessings Occur. Come with me back to uh, chapter 15, look at verse 2. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus, which, by the way, was his house servant, not even his own heir. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offsprings, and a member of my household will be heir. And behold, at this point, the Lord interjects. This man, God says, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look towards heaven. Number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. You notice God never once answers the when question. He doesn't answer that question. Abraham says, when's this going to happen, God? God does not answer that question. What does God do? He comes right back to his faithfulness, which tells us what? That God's promises are always fulfilled in God's way through God's timing. Some of you have been waiting and you're saying, when God, when is this going to happen? When will I see your faithfulness? When? He's not gonna answer that question. Why? Because God's promises are always fulfilled in God's way and in God's timing. Why is that? Because he is a covenant keeping God. He is faithful. 
We're going to see this over and over and over. You see, God's promises are not fickle or capricious, vacillate like human promises. When God says it, it will be done. And notice how Abraham responds. He responds in faith. Here it is, verse 6. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, we could spend an entire week on this one verse alone. We're not. But this is the formula for salvation. See, this formula for salvation is the same in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament. Sometimes people come and they say, well, you know, how were people saved in the Old Testament days compared to how were people saved in the New Testament days? It's the same. It's always by faith. Sola fide, the great Reformation cry. It is by faith alone. It's not faith plus something else. It wasn't in the Old Testament faith plus keeping the law. It's not in the New Testament. It's not faith plus some kind of work we do. No, it's never that. It's always sola fide, by faith alone. We see it here in Abraham. He believed God's promises and it was counted. That word counted is actually a theological word that means imputed. Imputed what? Imputed righteousness. Wasn't his own righteousness wasn't something Abraham did. This was a imputed righteousness from God. It's called, theologians call it, an alien righteousness. It comes from outside ourselves. You say, well, how does this work in Christianity? I'll tell you how. Martin Luther calls it the great exchange. God takes all of our unrighteousness and places it on Jesus who pays for it at the cross. And the exchange is God takes Christ's righteousness and places it on us, imputed, alien righteousness. So now every time, listen to me, Christ follower, every time God looks at you, he doesn't see your unrighteous deeds. He sees the righteousness of Christ laid upon you. Sola fide. Same thing. Abraham believed the promises of God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now the first question is when? The second question is how? Aren't those the questions we often ask God? When? How? Come with me to the text, I'll show you. Verse eight, but he said, O Lord, How am I to know that I shall possess it? How am I to know that I'll have a son? How am I to know that I shall have this land you are sending me to? How will I know? You notice God doesn't repeat himself here. He doesn't repeat the promises. He doesn't do anything. You know what he does? He immediately does something that Abraham would understand. He makes a cutting covenant with him. You say, what is a cutting covenant? covenant. We kind of have to get back into the ancient mind to understand a cutting covenant. But it's a binding covenant between two people. The cutting happens with an animal. They might take a ram, a goat, a bull, and they would cut it in half. And the head and the torso they would put over here, and the torso and the hindquarters they would put over here, and the two men would lock arms, they would make a covenant to keep 
between themselves, and they would walk through those cut pieces. Then they would turn in the middle of them, put their hands on each other's shoulders, and they would say, if I don't keep my end of the covenant, may you do to me what has been done to these animals. Can you imagine if we did that today? I mean, can you imagine if that was the way it worked, is that if you break your promises, I get to come over and cut you in half. I think there'd be a lot less promise breaking, don't you? But here's what's interesting. God uses that same thing in Abraham's life to prove a point. Look at the text, verse nine. He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three year old, a ram three year old, a turtle dove, a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, laid each half against the other. Drop down to verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. I'm intrigued by that. Have you ever had such a burning question before God? When, God? How long, God? That sleep is fleeting? That sleep is dreadful and it's as if darkness falls upon you. You start to see the weight that Abraham is carrying, the questions that he is asking of God. Drop down, verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. Do you see what's going on here? Abraham has been put to sleep by God so that God could enact the covenant. You say, where's Abraham? Abraham's not there. So it's just God. You're right. It's just God. Notice the imagery that's coming up, the smoking fire pot, the smoke that billows out like the smoke that billows out from the throne room of God, the fiery torch, the, the light of God, the penetrating light of God. See, these are the images of God himself making a covenant with Abraham, God alone saying, if I don't keep my covenant, Abraham, with you, may you do to me, the God of the universe, may you split me asunder. You see, God makes a cutting covenant binding eternally with Abraham. Absolutely binding covenant. You say, well, what, what does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with me? Do you remember when God called you to himself? Do you remember that day? Your day of faith? Your sola fide? When you bowed your knee to Christ and that transfer took place and your sins were placed on your saviors and his righteousness was placed, do you remember where you were at? Do you remember that day, do you remember that covenant promise? Oh, there, I mean, there's all kinds of promises you receive that day. 
I'll never leave you or forsake you as the Father has loved me. I will love you. There is therefore now no condemnation in Christ. Nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. I mean, I could go on and on and on of the promises that God poured out into your life that day. Do you remember that? Because many times life has a way of getting in the way. And we forget the promises that we were drawn to by God through Christ. Maybe we've yielded to sin and temptation and there seems to be no conquest in our life. Or there's this fleetingness of peace and happiness. It eludes us. Circumstances overwhelm us. And we start asking the questions, when, God? When? How? How are we going to fix this? And these questions become bigger and bigger and bigger. We see something in Abraham's life that I think all of us experience. But we forget that it's a common experience of every follower of God. And that is covenants don't go untested. You see, you've received a covenant, a binding covenant made by the blood of Jesus Christ. But he also warns us that in that promise, you will be tested. I mean, think about Abraham's experience. He's 75-ish. He's told that there's a blessing coming, that his heir will number like the stars in the sky. 25 years later, when the womb is completely barren, when there's no physical human possibility for life, Isaac is born. The promised son, he's here. Through Isaac, all the nations will be blessed. But then God does almost the ridiculous. He says to Abraham, I want you to take Isaac the next morning, climb the mount, build an altar, and sacrifice him to me. And can you, can you imagine the consternation that Abraham must have started to go through almost immediately, the weight on his chest, the heaviness of his heart, palpitations, the long night ahead, dreading the next day. Isaac's his only son. In, in a weird way, every time I read this story, I think about going away to college. Now, I've always wanted to go to college. I remember that. I remember just the idea of going away, having a dorm, a roommate, classes, all the campus activities. My senior year, my guidance counselor told me, I don't think you're college material. 
My grades were not the best. But it was crushing, crushing. And for three years, I just kind of wandered through life until finally God brought a man into my life who spoke clearly and said, no, you can do it. It's not gonna be easy, but you can do it. You need to sign up. You need to go. Follow your dream. Do it. So I did. Followed my dreams. Signed up. Got into Cedarville University, small school at that time, about 1,800 students. We lived about two hours away. My mom and dad, we packed to our car. I remember that drive. I remember coming onto the campus of Cedarville University. I'm thinking, this is it. This is finally the realization of my dream. And we stop in my dorm and my mom and dad move all my things into my dorm. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's here. I'm about to be on my own. Life, as I'd hoped. I turn, and there's my mom and dad still in my dorm room. And I kind of was, you know, all right, time to go. My mom and dad followed me all day long around the campus. If I stood in line in registration, there was my mom and dad standing in line for registration for class. When I went to pay for the class, there was my mom and dad standing in line ready to pay for the class. We went to lunch. There I was standing in line at the cafeteria. There my mom and dad with their little trays standing behind me going to lunch. And I'm not real proud of this, but I'm pretty sure throughout the whole day I was giving them the cold shoulder. I was ready for them to be gone. Finally, it's late afternoon. And my mom says to my dad, I think it's time for us to go. And so we're, we're in my dorm room, some hugs and tears, and they walk out the door. And as soon as they're out the door, I thought, yes, I'm on my own. I mean, life begins for me now. This is what I've been waiting for. This is the moment. And about that time, I hear a on my door. And I open the door, and there's my dad. And my dad was a, kind of a big, burly, blue-collar guy, worked in a factory, was a farmer. Rarely did I see him express much emotion. But when I opened that door, he handed me something. I don't even know what it was. Could have been a check, could have been money. He said, your mother wanted you to have this. These big tears. They're streaming down his face. And I thought, I wish I could have that day back. I'm his only son. And I was gone. Are you starting to sense the weight of what God was asking Abraham to do? I mean, I want to say, God, I don't want you to think you're that kind of God. The next morning, faithful Abraham saddles his donkey. And he and Isaac begin to trek up the mountain. You say, well, what happens next? Well, yeah, I got to come back in a couple weeks. That's Corey's to finish. But I don't want you to miss this. Abraham, faithful, 
You see, I don't know what you're going through right now, but I bet there are people here today, not by coincidence or chance, not, God would never do that, but are here plagued with questions of when and how. And I want to remind you, you cannot become the Christ follower God wants for you without the trials he has, he's going to give to you. You cannot become the man of God, the woman of God, the young person of God. You cannot become the Christ follower God wants for you without the trials he gives to you. But in the midst of the trial, what do we do? We look back on the word of God that stands faithful forever, proclaiming we have a covenant keeping God who's faithful. He's faithful. And in the noise of all things that are going on in your life, if you slow and you listen, the word of God promises there's a small voice. It's quiet. It's hard to hear. But it will whisper to you, fear not. Speaks your name because you are known and reminds you, I am your shield. Faithful God.